0: I'm Brian Brushwood, and I make people the most interesting person in the room.
1: Welcome to I Made This from Do Anything Media, a show about passionate people executing their big ideas in realistic ways you can learn from to make your own big idea a reality. I'm Bill Meeks, and today I'm talking with my dear, dear friend, Mr. Brian Brushwood. You might know Brian from his Revision 3 Discovery web series, Scam School. Or the follow-up Scam Nation. Maybe he came to your college to perform his Bizarre Magic Act. Or maybe you saw it at Halloween Horror Nights here in Orlando, Florida. Perhaps you've even seen his tragically cancelled series on the National Geographic channel, Hacking the System. Brian, well, Brian gets around. Today I'll talk with Brian about how he used his goal setting to achieve his dreams and how, when the dreams went away, he leveraged his experience to create the Modern Rogue, his new YouTube brand, web store, and blog. Like I said, Brian gets around. The best part is, Brian controls all of this himself, no cable network required. Now, I traveled to Jakarta, Indonesia with Brian a few years back, and we talk about what he told me that really got me moving, creatively. Brian also shares his new take on achieving creative success. Not many people have heard it yet, but I think everybody is going to be talking about it very soon. And I'm honored he workshopped it on this show. Brian's a pretty smart dude and one of my favorite friends. Oh, trivia we both grew up in the small Houston suburb of Katy, Texas. We didn't know each other because we were a couple years apart, but we both went to the same pizza hut a lot. Okay, I made this for you. Take a listen. Hey, Brian,
0: how you doing? It's been
1: forever since we've spoken.
0: Yeah, that's my fault. I've been I've been bad at returning phone calls, and I'm glad that you've shamed me publicly now. Oh, I try to shame
1: you publicly for when it's not warranted, you know, let alone when it's warranted.
0: (laughs) Whether it's warranted or not, there will be shame.
1: (laughs) You know what, though? I, I just recently put together a blog post about the biggest thing that happened to me every year throughout the 2010s. I was reminded of our our time in Jakarta when I, I went to shoot you for a couple
0: episodes of Scam School. This week on Scam School, we continue our adventure on the other side of the world. Get out of my house. Welcome to the show that keeps your wallet full and your liver begging for mercy. Scam School, the only show dedicated to social engineering at the bar and on the street. I'm your host, Brian Brushwood, and this week we are back on my Indonesian adventure. Easily one of the best experiences of my entire life, performing for tens of millions of people live on a magic special, are you kidding me? Let's go see the rest of the adventure. Let's go to Indonesia. Yeah, that was actually a big moment for both of us. I mean, obviously there was a uh, literally a Super Bowl sized live audience watching <laughs> that performance. But but uh, specifically, that was a big moment for me because I said, "Hey, this seems like a big deal. We should do scam school stuff. Can you spare somebody to travel with me?" Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it was Revision Three at the time was like, "No, we can't." And so uh, I was like, "Well, what if what if I go and find somebody on my own? Take a freelancer with." And then we could make an episode out of it. And they're like, knock yourself out. <laughs> and so for you, it was a, a, a big deal because all of a sudden, you know, we're traveling internationally and you're mm-hmm. being the documentarian. But for me, it was a big deal because that was one of the very first times that I stepped out of the role of talent as a, you know, the scam school performer and then letting all the adults handle production, uh-huh. but instead stepped into producer territory. So so that was a big, big moment for both of us.
1: I remember one moment in particular where I think we'd been there eight or nine hours. And we pulled all the footage over to your computer and we looked at it and it was bluey. It was all blue. And you were like, man, I don't know what's going on, but we got to figure this out.
0: Yeah. that well, and, and that was the, that was the first awkward moment where it's like, uh, well, man, the boss has to fix this. And I was like, oh no, I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> and And I could tell also that that you didn't necessarily know what caused the color temperature to be wrong.
1: Yeah, because it was it was my first time using a DSLR. I I had always used like uh, DV cams, uh, pro, pro, professional DV cams, and I changed some settings somewhere that just completely threw the footage blue.
0: But I mean, it, it, the episode ended up looking great, and and I got to tell you, I don't know that I could have done that without you, and so I'm I'm so thankful that you were there, and I'm so, I'm thankful that. That 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 our friendship survived the uh, awkward <laughs> strains of, of a high pressure moment like that,
1: and then like I completely flipped out for no reason when I lost the lens cap the night we you did your your special, and I was like, where the fuck is the lens cap?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and then now looking back on it, you're like, who the hell cares about the lens cap?
1: <laughs> yeah, I could have thrown like a handkerchief over it. It would have been fine. It would have been fine. I also want to mention, you know, something that was really important for me on that trip beyond the, you know, international work uh, for a major internet star like yourself was one night at the bar at the hotel. We kind of sat down and you kind of, you know, talked me through and gave me this big pep talk about following my dreams. And we got back from Jakarta. I slept for three weeks because of the jet lag. And then when I got up, I launched a podcast. I started writing a book. And, you know, the most success I've had in the past five or six years all spun from, you know, that talk with you and, you know, the things I launched right after it. So I want to thank you for that publicly.
0: Uh, Dude, I totally remember that talk. It was in the bar of the hotel that that we were at. And am I right in remembering that this was during the launch of the Diamond Club experiment or was that a different? Yes, uh,
1: the the Diamond Club. I groan. That's
0: an excerpt from Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not a parody. It spent 25 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and has spawned its own parody, The Diamond Club, which is a crowdsourced ebook that's gotten as high as number four on iTunes top 10 paid ebooks list. The book is the brainchild of Brian Brushwood and Justin Young, the hosts of the NSFW show podcast. Okay, so the exact time that I get booked for an international live performance for The Magic Show. But at the same time, just before we left on the comedy podcast, we had the idea... To at the height of the rise of Fifty Shades of Grey, we wanted to pull a hoax off where we would create a fake erotic fiction novel (laughs) that looked like a Fifty Shades of Grey book and that would be on all those same electronic distribution outlets, but would be entirely crowdsourced by the internet. So so we launched it and then we hopped on a plane and left. So my experience is I'm in Indonesia watching this thing hit number three, number four on the uh, I, Apple iBook store right next to Fifty <laughs> Shades of Grey. It's selling tens of thousands of copies. Oh yeah,
1: I remember you on your phone that entire trip, like every five minutes, like, what? There's this many sales? What, there's this many? What's going on?
0: Yeah, well, and it, and some number of the people were in on the joke and they, they wanted to promote it because we only made it a dollar trying to get it to the top of the charts. Uh, but the rest of the people were people who <laughs> just wanted more of that hot, <laughs> Sexy action that self-published erotica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's
1: where the money is in self-publishing.
0: <laughs> so, so for me, it was. It, it might have been that. Might have been a career highlight, uh, three or four day moment. Because, uh, like, like I can't think of when I had much more happening than than that. But I remember us hanging out at the hotel bar, and I, you know, spending like two hours where I essentially gave a a one man motivational seminar, talking about. <laughs> Uh, How you have to be bad before you can be good, the difference between talking about doing a thing and doing a thing and making the decision to go out there and have uh, have miserable experiences, Uh, successes built out of failure all of that stuff. And we t- we talked about like, you know, goal setting. What is it you want? How are you going to get there? Because you're not going to leapfrog from where you are to there.
1: I believe you actually had me write down specific goals. One of those was Dog Boy, which I've written four books. I still owe people the fifth one. One of them was starting a podcast or fan cast of some sort. And then, you know, I had you know, hugely successful fan cast where we got, you know, like 40,000 downloads every week. Holy cow. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, that list that you had me write down and somehow put your magic on, you know, kind of blessed my life for the next five years.
0: That's amazing. Well, and I probably almost certainly said at the time that the closest thing to real magic I've ever seen is the power of the written goal. And, you know, and nowadays it's a little bit more well-known, the idea of, of smart goals, you know, that are specific, measurable, and to have a, have a timetable and all that stuff.
1: You know, speaking about goals, th- this is a great segue into sort of the Brian Brushwood origin story. So why don't you go ahead and give people just, you know, a quick primer on how you got into to magicianing?
0: I, when I went to college, I suddenly had free time and I realized I could invest it to learn anything I wanted. And I realized it was too late for me to be the world's best violinist. It was too late for me to be the world's best gymnast, but it wasn't too late for me to be one of the best uh, magicians. So I, I learned magic thinking to myself, it was a good hedge because either I who knows maybe someday could be a magician or even then no matter where I ended up in life it would be good to know a few cool tricks and so uh, I made spare money on the side through college doing magic and then the program I was in you had to have a thesis and I somehow talked my way into a magic show being a creative writing thesis so I all of a sudden I I, I felt like I was scamming the college by. <laughs> Being able to go and do shows for you know for kids and and street performing for some pocket money.
1: I, as someone who's seen your shows, I I can definitely see that in your show that there there's this sort of narrative artistry, this creative thread throughout your show.
0: Yeah, well, and and so uh, by the time I graduated, I had I had a fine you know thirty or forty minute show, and I did it on the side while I had day jobs for uh, two or three years. And then I had a particularly good month in the off hours. At the same time, I just as I was having that tickle of like, man, what if, what if I was able to quit the day job and make this work? Mm -hmm. And at this point I was married. We didn't have any kids yet, but they gave me a raise and it freaked me out because it was a lot more money. And I realized this is how it happens. Like right (laughs) now I could walk away from this money, but if they do this again, I don't think I could walk away from it. This is how you end up doing something you hate for the rest of your life.
1: Just enough money to keep you there forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and so as a direct result of that raise, I quit. And and I I you know my wife said, all right, you got one year. I'll keep the lights on. And uh, we made uh, I made no money that first year. I, th- I think I went from a decent like thirty four thousand dollars a year to grossing sixteen thousand dollars a year. And then you you obviously there's a bazillion D Expenses for for doing shows out of that, but after that first year, I told Bonnie I was like, "Quit your job. I'm pretty sure we could pull this off." The two greatest days of my life were the day I hired my wife and the day I was able to afford to fire my wife, <laughs> because it's an extraordinary strain on a marriage to to have your personal time be spent together, but also to professionally have the expectation that your wife is supposed to constantly be cheering for you and telling other people how good you are. Mm-hmm. After that, you know, we, we ramped up to a fairly busy career in the college market. I was doing upwards of 100 shows a year, uh, spending upwards of 200 days on the road. But as that happened, I was like, okay, well, it seems like the next step would be TV. Mm -hmm. So uh, luckily, somebody reached out from Court TV, now now they're True TV, but they loved the idea of what I was up to. Uh, They wanted to put together a show about scams, cons, and the supernatural, pseudosciences, you know, frauds, that kind of stuff. And so crazy enough this would have been what 2006 jason murphy was the guy i i tapped like hey help me help me come up with ideas and we sort of laid everything out uh, but midway through the project uh, the person my champion left and uh, somebody else inherited my project and as often happens When somebody doesn't really get it in a million little ways, it it dies a death of a thousand cuts.
1: It got caught in the revolving door, you know. Yeah,
0: but uh, then they ended up uh, passing on it. And uh, I was like, well, shoot, what now? And I realized, uh, okay, if I was looking to hire somebody to be a television host, what's the first thing I would look for? And my answer is I would want somebody who's already hosted a television show. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do you get there? It's that old, how do you get experience if you don't have any experience? Mm-hmm. But luckily, YouTube had just launched. And I was like, OK, I have a full schedule. I've got a entertaining stage manager. I've got two totally garbage. Uh, I, I mean, they, they felt high end at the time, but uh, uh, two little digital cameras. And uh, screw it. I now have a show. It's called Brian Brushwood on the Road. And so I was the producer, editor, talent, uh, and. Key grip, caterer. Yeah, and distributor. (laughs) Hi, I'm Brian Brushwood. I tour all over the United States performing America's number one college magic show. I do stuff like fire eating, escapes, mind reading. This is Nick, my road manager and constant companion on the road. Every night, Nick and I find ourselves in a new city, new situation, and new people. These are the stories of what happens on the road. We just started, we, we recorded, uh, I don't know, 20 of these little vignettes of life on the road and none of them really blew up and I didn't really develop a following. However, I realized that there was tremendous cachet from mentioning or from, you know, just at the bottom of your emails saying, I have a show, it's called Brian Brushwood on the Road and you clicked on it and it looked like a show.
1: Oh yeah, especially back then before everybody had a show.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. So there was kind of an audaciousness. It was, it was me tapping into that fixed action pattern of the trappings of authority because it matched the picture of what you uh, envision somebody successful having. Mm-hmm. But after a year of doing that, uh, I learned a lot of hard lessons. This is that whole, you gotta be bad before you be good. I learned that editor Brian got very angry when he was trying to work with footage from performer Brian, who kept on talking in <laughs> run on sentences. So I learned to, if I flub the line, stop back up and give it clean so that future me could deal with it. And that's still something that I'm very good about to this very day. And I keep having to, you know, as we get guests on all of our shows, I'm just like, Hey man, uh, we all have the power of time travel. If you, if you mess up, just stop back up, don't apologize give it clean and then
1: we'll cut it out and post
0: right exactly try not to talk over each other i
1: also by the way I, ve- I very much empathize with that hating a past version of yourself it happens every time i sit down to edit literally anything i do when i sit down to edit this podcast i will feel that way
0: <laughs> exactly well so uh, after a year of that i had the idea of all the episodes we had done of brian brushwood on the road the ones i liked the most were the ones where i would was teaching a couple of classic bar scams with real people because everybody had a hunger to learn some magic. And there was real delight on their faces as they were able to pull it off back to me. And so I, I came up with the idea for Scam School. I upgraded my equipment. I was all set to go at it alone. And then last minute, I thought, man, what if somebody else wants to pay for this? <laughs> so I shopped it around as luck would have it. A lot of the people I had met when I had done tech TV appearances mm-hmm. were part of the ecosystem of Revision 3, and they piloted it and loved the idea. They, at the time, were kind of fancying themselves as a re-envisioning of tech TV. So I, that's where the phrase, the only show dedicated to social engineering at the bar and on the street. Mm-hmm. My goal was to never, never admit that this was a magic uh, show. It, 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 <laughs> I, instead, it was it was all about social engineering at the bar and on the street.
1: As a viewer, it always felt more just like a punk rock show that happened to feature, you know, close up magic.
0: Yes, exactly. It was uh, that was just one of the the many tools in the utility belt.
1: You were uh, one of the first shows for Revision 3, like in the first like group of five or six, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think Hack 5 hadn't even joined yet. They were independent at the time. I think Totally Rad Show was there and Dignation was their their big one and Internet Superstar was just launching. So from that, man, I learned a lot. My whole thing at the time was this Internet TV thing. Look, we all know everything's a fad. It's going to bust. But <laughs> The good news is these suckers are going to provide production. I'm going to get HD footage. Holy cow. It's going to be HD. (laughs) I can't
1: believe it. Back when it was very rare for someone to actually have an HD TV.
0: Oh, sure. Or or, or certainly an HD camera. I mean, that was some expensive stuff at the time. Oh, yeah. And so my whole goal was whatever. This will be good practice. So I'll have an amazing reel to pitch, you know, the real thing, the TV thing. Flash forward, it's 12 years later and and we're still every week teaching a a scammer con that you can do at the bar and on the street. Could
1: could we circle back real quick to when you came into Revision 3 to start making Scam School? Like, what was that process like? Were you like, this is my idea for the show. This is how it'll be split up. This is how it'll be shot. Uh, Have talented people do it. Or was it more collaborative? To be
0: honest, I didn't know anything about production at the time. I knew that talented people somehow got TV shows. And I assume that adults were the ones that made everything happen. But that brief experience that I had with True TV, where I just said yes to whatever they wanted because they're the adults, they know what they're doing. And even though I could tell, like in my heart, I'm like, I think this is a bad way to do it, but whatever, I'm just gonna say yes, just gonna say yes. And uh, and then we got that very middling pitch reel that didn't get picked up. So comparing that to the Brian Brushwood on the road stuff where I controlled everything, um, I had a better sense, but I still felt like, I mean, I'm here. They're still the experts. I'll I'll work within their framework. And luckily Eileen Rivera, uh, Tom Merritt's wife was the the producer. That's, that's how I ended up meeting Tom was through Eileen. Uh, She was a a seasoned veteran pro, uh, but, had that unique gift of being able to listen. So she would explain, okay, we need to do this. And, and we would actually talk back and forth. I was like, well, should we do it this way? Or should we do it that way? And, and she, you know, she was still very much in charge, Mm -hmm. but it occurred to me on the flight out to the pilot for scam school. I remember thinking that when I did the court TV project, I just went in saying, oh, the adults are going to move me around. Tell me what to do but then there were so many moments that I should have seen coming and that very clearly they expected me to have an answer for, and I hadn't even considered them. So on the flight out, I was like, oh, they're going to say, do an intro. And I'm going to realize that I haven't put any thought into what I'm going to say for the intro. So I was like, let me figure out what I should do. And to be honest, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. Um, it occurred to me, Oh wait, the Totally Rad Show—they always have a thing that they say at the beginning. Welcome to the show that is—I uh, don't know if it's a dedicated to whatever. the beginning yeah. of dignity. They have a thing they say. I was like, oh my god, I got to come up with the thing that I say. And it was on the flight out for the pilot that I came up with the phrase: the only show dedicated to social engineering at the bar and on the street, and 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 just that little hook, that little bit of preparation made all the difference on that original shoot
1: I, I like that you went and reverse engineered sort of the the product you were making like exactly like the other shows on the network
0: yes yes well and and that's it's fine to model but what what you must not do is ape the specifics instead, when, when you're doing a good job of production, and, and keep in mind, it's taken me 12 years to learn all of this. When, when when I started, I was talent. I knew how to make a stage show and do my stage show, and that was it. Mm-hmm. It took It took 12 years for me to learn what I've learned about production. And the biggest thing is to not even see the specifics, but instead just recognize, okay, you, you start with a thing that leads to the other thing, and then the other thing happens. So it's like, um, instead of saying, you know, say this phrase at the beginning, it's like, no, 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 a thing that distills the whole show into one sentence. Great. So so write that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, a thing that is a joke that's self-deprecating about yourself in that context. Great. Next up, a thing that that, that teases what you're about to do. And and if you keep it nonspecific, it's much easier to, to fill in individual blocks than to figure out like, well, I don't know, they're going to turn on the camera. What am I going to say? If you have, as, as Justin and I later uh, came to call them uh, monkey bars, like you have, you're on one thing. And, and if there's an opportunity to swing around for a bit, great, mm-hmm. but then you know what the next monkey bar for you to swing onto is, yeah. then you have a structure that's able to take you through everything. Now, all of this was just a vague intuition 12 years ago mm. but now it's it's bedrock it's bedlam like i don't care what the thing is as we shoot modern rogue episodes it's like well we need the cold open or we need we need the the aha moment or as we call it in uh, modern rogue okay but but what's our success condition because you'll notice every episode of modern rogue even if we're telling a ghost story there's different types of episodes but when we learn something Even if it's just, okay, the success condition will be that one of us has to prove that we've learned it by saying it all back, you know, because then at least there's some kind of stakes and it feels like in the shape of the story, there's a punctuation. But again, I didn't know any of this in the very early days of, of scam school.
1: Yeah. So it, it sounds to me like, you know, Brian Brushwood on the road. It kind of taught you some, some cool tricks that maybe you wanted to try and repeat in future projects. Then you st- started looking at structure and you use that structure to develop techniques that you've carried forward, you know, into scam school and then into the modern rogue.
0: Yeah. And if, if I can coin a phrase here, I, I think I learned expertise is built on a foundation of pain, Mm -hmm. by which I mean it was only by editing all those Brian Brushwood on the road episodes that I knew what I hated when I was editing and that that wasn't going to change. It's not like their editors were going to feel any different. So as a result, I developed this intuition just because of of the past year of the misery of like, "Ah, I wish I had gotten this or I wish I had gotten a clean version of that, that when we were shooting Scam School, it intuitively made sense to say, Oh, it seems like I should do that again, so you could get a clean shot of it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it, that all took years and years and years to develop. For creative people
1: like like you and me, uh, you know, a lot of times people are like, "Well, are you getting paid for this? Are you getting paid for that?" A lot of times, doing a creative project, uh, you know, just solo, running gun on your own, the most value you get from it are, are those lessons you learn, and you learn what's important that you need to learn. Oh, absolutely. You know, so, so there's so much value in creative work that doesn't necessarily translate to money in the moment, but
0: eventually will. Well, and and there are different types of currencies. Um, There are, you know, there's certainly money currency. There's uh, excitement currency. There's uh, story currency. There's experience currency. There's expertise currency. There's access currency. For example, when I would take somebody on the road while we were on tour during colleges, I would explain, look, I can only pay you $20 in a taco. (laughs) I can't even tell you what shows are going to come up over the next year, but I can promise you, that you will have stories that you will tell for the rest of your life. Uh, last year we did the Tonight Show. Year before that we did this Indonesia thing. The other time we did this this other thing. I can speak to that
1: because you gave me twenty dollars into Taco, and I still talk about that week like
0: all the time. Right, right. Well, and, and of course, like at this point, my bucket is fairly full of stories. So if you told me, hey, I want you to do this gig, we can pay you $20 at a taco, but you'll have stories. And I'm like, you know what, buddy? I got stories. I'm full <laughs> up on stories, man. But for for young people who are getting started, uh, realize that it may not feel... So there's this there's a sentiment on the internet. Uh, are we allowed to curse here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the sentiment that people love to say, because there's a lot of deviant art artists and a lot of people who put a lot of effort into things, and they keep people, friends acknowledge how good these things are, and they say, hey, can you do this art thing? Or can you perform at this gig? I can't pay you, but, the, but you'll get uh, exposure or whatever. And there's this sense of, fuck you, pay me. Which I understand where that comes from, because Mm -hmm. what you crave is financial validation for the quality of the art you're doing. Because you know that if somebody else who is established, somebody else who with more experience and presence, you know, somebody would never insult them by asking if they wanted to do it for free for the exposure. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, exposure is a currency and experience is a currency. And if you're getting started, you may not want to uh, can, All right, can I tell you my unified theory of being an independent creator? I haven't had the chance to talk about this publicly. Actually, that's super relevant to me right now. So yeah, go ahead, go for it. Okay, so um, this, this is gonna take a little bit and I'm still working out the kinks. But to begin with, th- there's two things. How do you grow a thing, which we could talk about from nothing to a nucleus or, or a gravity well, as I think of it. Step one is create a thing. But once you have a thing, how do you make it sustainable and continue to grow? So picture a, a singularity grows into a black hole. And then how do you grow that black hole? We can get to how to start from nothing and get to something. But before we do, I want you to imagine a supermassive black hole that is sustainable forever as a creative individual, whether you're an author, whether you create comics, whether you do podcasting, whether you're a dancer, you know, whether you're a, a magician, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure where you want to end up, the sustainable engine looks like this, is draw a picture, everybody in your mind, I want you to picture a recycling symbol, okay? Uh, It goes clockwise, that's important, it goes clockwise. At the top, I want you to put the letter S, that means story, I'll explain in a bit. To the right, I want you to put A, that means attention, I'll explain in a bit. And to the left, I want you to put a dollar sign, that represents sales, and I don't just mean money sales, Uh, I'll explain it a bit. It's important that each of those is seen as being in service of the other. Story has a boss. The reason story bothers to have story is so it can hand it off to attention and attention can do its job. Attention's whole job is based on the fact that it's going to hand it off to sales. And most people think, oh, sales is where it ends. No, it doesn't end. The whole reason you bother to have sales is so you can reinvest in bigger, more interesting stories. I'm going to explain. Story is whatever the thing is, I think a lot of us know that we're rich in story. Attention is is, is the real estate that exists in other people's minds. If for a musician, attention is when you write an infectious song and that song lives in other people's minds for years and years to come. Sales is, whether it be financial or actions, it is the thing that you harvest as a result of having planted a story in the minds of either one person or the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people and and whether that action is getting somebody to click to smash that like and subscribe button uh-huh. or to uh, sign up for your email or to buy your book or to uh, you know follow your tweets or whatever and then the reinvestment is how you use that to tell bigger stories now the reason i think of this is as a, as a virtuous cycle is because I have been doing this same circle for 20 plus years now. The, and and it works whether I'm on a street corner trying to perform and eat fire so that I can ask for pocket change. It worked when I was a touring magician at colleges nationwide. And it's working now as I'm hosting two YouTube channels totaling over three million subscribers and, and counting, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, in the Twitter following and the whole thing. It's all the same thing. It's based on the idea that you provide value first and then you harvest that goodwill from the real estate that you exist in your mind. Uh, As a creator, your goal is to build a new metaphor. Your goal is to build a beautiful garden. And when it comes to harvesting from that garden, there's a bunch of things you could do. You could just cut it all down unsustainably. You can harvest just a little bit directly. You can rent out a section of that garden for the Dollar Shave Club guy to bark about his razors. (laughs) There's, There's a bunch of different ways that you can use that garden. So specifically, you start with story Mm -hmm. and and you build the story and then you hand it off to attention to use it to get into the minds of everyone. Those are your titles and thumbnails. Those are your tweets. Those are your follow ups to get the message out. And then once you've earned it, uh, there is no value of being famous unless you can harvest from it. Now, here's the thing. Everybody wants to go the opposite way. Everybody wants to go counterclockwise and you must not do that. Because it, and you could tell that the circle only goes one way because when you reverse it, you get unsustainable funnels. For example, think of them as three different currencies, mm-hmm. story, attention, and sales or money, three different currencies. Let's say you're a millionaire in money, but what you want is to get everybody's attention. Well, then the shortest way would be to go backwards. But what does that look like? You spend a bunch of money to inefficiently purchase advertisements that very few people pay any attention to and largely ignore your story at the end. And they probably lie about the stats anyway. Exactly, and if you're very, very lucky, maybe you make enough money to get on that inefficient ride again until all of a sudden you can't do it. Now, uh, if you go the reverse way, if you have money and you use that money to hire talented storytellers and you build a narrative, Then people organically want to follow your story, and then they're so excited about you and what you're doing that they're happy to spend the money later that gives you more money to invest in bigger stories, right? Mm -hmm. Now, likewise, think about uh, Kevin Federline. He went from having zero dollars in attention to being a billionaire in attention overnight (laughs) by marrying Britney Spears. What did he want? What he wanted was to be respected. So he's a millionaire in attention, but he wants to be a millionaire in story. So what he should have done is figure out ways to leverage that attention with hard work and, and, and a... Um, a respectful attitude, get that money, hire those storytellers to build this perfect thing. Instead, he tried to go the backwards way, which is, well, I have all this attention. Let me make a rap album that everybody will widely mock. Mm -hmm. And and, and, and that fizzles out. It's unsustainable. Uh, Same thing. Think about if you're a millionaire in story. Let's say you uh, have a million-dollar script idea then what you want to do is just find somebody to pay you for the script. That's what everybody wants. They want to go backwards in the circle. They must not do that. If it's really a good idea, then you start the sustainable long journey of beginning by gathering attention by, yes, take that script, that perfect script, the thing that the script that's worth all the money, lock it up in a vault And then get to get to work telling that same story first as a series of blog posts, then as a radio play, then as a podcast, then as an ongoing comic book, then as a novel. And then finally, once you've gathered this attention, this rabid fan base, this number of people who want to hear this story told writ large, then you call up Hollywood and you sustainably harvest for that million dollar script, whether it's a single unit or a, a lifetime of story, the story never ends. I, I often say that a good brand or a good story is like a fractal. It looks pretty much the same mm-hmm. at 10 inches mm-hmm. as it does 1,000 feet. The atomic unit of storytelling is the tweet. So the, the, the maximal unit of storytelling is the lifetime. I've been following the story of Penn Jillette for almost 30 years now. And, and I follow it in the atomic unit with a single tweet, in the medium unit of a podcast, in the bigger unit of a, of a television special or, or a stage show or whatever, and in the maximal unit of time after time watching his life unfold. And likewise, mm-hmm. I take Stephen King, for example. A Stephen King tweet pretty much looks like a Stephen King blog post, pretty much looks like a Stephen King novel, pretty much looks like a Stephen King life. Uh, when you are... Experiencing that virtuous circle going in the right way of feeding everyone first, then asking for some action, whether it's to buy your new single or to pick up your new novel, that is the only way to keep a, a, a long-term sustainable cycle.
1: You know what, Brian, the great thing about everything you just said is, one, I needed to hear it right now in my life as I'm starting this new company and starting this whole new enterprise. And I've also noticed this pattern. I've I've used different words for it, but, you know, I've noticed the more focus I put on adding, giving value to the people who are paying attention to me, the more money I make and then the more ideas I get to give them value. And it's just this wonderful circle. I think it's interesting, too, what you say about, you know, a story being the same with the micro, the the medium and the, the macro, uh, because I've noticed probably about, it wasn't long ago, it was about six months ago, the story I keep telling, whether that's through books or through songs or through podcast or through my new company, is the story of finding yourself in isolation and reaching out to other people and finding a way... F- out of that isolation. I think it's interesting that you bring this up just because I just had that revelation about me personally, you know, just a few months ago, and I realized, no, like... Every major project I've done, everything I've ever been proud of is kind of telling that story because it's a story that came from my teenage years when I was homeschooled and I didn't have any friends and everything like that. So very interesting stuff. Have you ever pitched that before? Because that sounded like basically
0: that was your TED talk, right? Uh, I think it will be at some point. To be honest, uh, I had a conversation just yesterday with, uh, with Randy Olson where I was telling him the same thing. And I'm like, look, this feels profound to me, but I'm an idiot who eats fire for a living. Is this like so obvious to everybody else that I that I shouldn't bother to refine this into a talk or a book or something? And his advice was just keep telling that story and it will become refined. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's fortuitous that the very next day we had the opportunity to record this and I was able to give it again. Everybody in my personal life is sick to death of <laughs> hearing this because it took me a while to to sort of piece together. This idea sort of began uh, when we bought, and I guess we could talk about this. Mm-hmm. We, we, we bought this seven acre compound and it was it was a year of just shoveling money into a black hole to get everything up to code because the place was mid renovation. It was a disaster. But the last thing I did was put in a whiteboard. And for some reason, I just knew it was very important to put in this whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And so on a Friday afternoon, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to go put up the whiteboard. It was like four in the afternoon or whatever. Uh, by five o'clock, I had written the words what we do here and then everything else I just said emerged from that. This entire mission statement, this idea Mm -hmm. of the mission statement of what we do is create exceptional stories in the hopes that they will reach millions and millions of people. Then we maximize that exposure by using best practices in order to reach the maximum number of people. Then we harvest the maximum sustainable yield. The word sustainable is important because you, you could. Turn away your whole audience by over harvesting. And we see a lot of like uh, reality TV stars who suddenly cash in. and and get paychecks, Mm -hmm. but the maximum sustainable yield in the hopes that you can reinvest it into bigger and better stories. So there's little things like, you know, there's sort of the creator's dilemma is the hat you're wearing during the story bit. You know, how do we create the stories that are not being told that the world wants to hear? Then there's the marketer's dilemma. How do we get this story in front of the, you know, maximum number of people? And then there's Mm -hmm. the investor's dilemma of where do we spend this harvest so that it goes into story and not attention. It's really remarkable. I do this uh, two-day class at a business academy called uh, Wizard Academy. Is there business wizardry? Uh, It it might as well be, man. (laughs) Uh, The guy who founded it wrote a book called The Wizard of Ads. Gotcha. But uh, a lot of the attendees are entrepreneurs who want to have a podcast for the benefits of being the expert in a thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and as we're talking about this, so many people ask, how, m- how much money should you spend on ads for your podcast? And I'm like, none, are you crazy? You don't, you don't spend money to purchase a slightly bigger platform that's going backwards in the circle. At any rate, these, these metaphors are become so clear to me that uh, uh, I don't know, I feel like I should codify everything and put it all down on, on the page.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I think the last major like 3 a.m. in a college dorm room conversation like this we had was the one back in Indonesia. And I told you then you need to write all this down. And you did. I don't know if you have. Have you? Uh, no. Or do you just say it everywhere? Uh, yeah, I just
0: say it everywhere. And hopefully some of it shows up on recordings like this one.
1: <laughs> nice. Well, we will preserve it for all time. Why don't we go ahead? Because I, I, I know you probably got to head out relatively soon. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and circle back around? So you're at revision three. Doing sca- Yeah, all the way back there. You're at revision three uh, doing scam school. And then an opportunity to do like a real TV show kind of comes to you. How, how did all
0: that happen? Hacking the system? What, what, there, there is some middle steps where so we talk about going from nothing to something. Right. Mm. And and we can go into that on some other podcast. But I had something on that street corner and and the virtuous circle was just make it a little bit bigger. Okay, now I'm touring. Make it a little bit bigger. You know, use that that, that email list and leverage and stuff. And it and it became the uh, uh, scam school. But it occurred to me that I was never going to live in the minds of millions of people, just based on uh, uh, you know three to five minutes. You know, uh, three to five minutes once a week in a little tutorial. I needed to learn how to spend hours and hours and hours talking to people. And I did not have that gift. I did not have the ability to open my mouth and just talk into a microphone in unbroken sentences. It was horrifying to me. (laughs) And so much like the magic stuff, I realized you have to be bad before you can get good. And so I decided to be bad, just turned on live stream, started up. I decided just like I decided I had a show called Brian Brushwood On The Road, just decided I had a show called The BB Live Show. I'm gonna go ahead and hit record. And for those of you who just joined us by watching the recorded video, good for you. You guys did a smart thing here. (laughs) We had a bit of a total cluster bar trying to get this show started. Personally, I blame Adobe Flash, or at least the Adobe Flash media encoder. We had, it was beautiful. I was crystal clear, high definition, sexy shenanigans. And then, uh, you know, we did a show and everything went to crack. Crap. I said crack. That'll happen. Everything went to crack. That eventually evolved into a comedy show that was picked up by an online network called NSFW. And then from that, it's like, okay, we've got that. But what else can we do? Where can we pivot? What else is underserved?
1: And then you were you were like, person who's the most underserved is this guy named Bill Meeks in my chat room for NSFW. Because that's, <laughs> that's where we kind of got met each other and everything.
0: That's exactly right.
1: You know, I've walked this entire journey of my life just so I could have Bill Meeks troll me from the chat room.
0: Yeah, and then finally, uh, uh, I had met success and I quit the game. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but but the one of the ideas is when you you've maximized one niche, you need to diversify and expand into another niche. And so for me, it was, uh, you know, learning the structure of a podcast and how that's different, learning the structure of, of various different shows. But then came the, the time to pitch the idea for television. It was like, okay, well, let me go back because again, think about it, with television, I kind of was trying to go backwards on the circle. I was like, well, let me just leapfrog up to being a TV person. And of course, you I have to take the long way around, which is earn my way up to build a platform big enough to merit the interest of television. Mm-hmm. And finally we had that. And so I pitched essentially a, a, a turbocharged version of Scam School. You know, like like what if Scam School was times a thousand? We'd we, we wouldn't just be earning a free drink at the bar, we'd be blowing up houses and stealing <laughs> bars and all that stuff.
1: To get a free drink at the bar.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I pitched something like that, and it became hacking the system. I'm Brian Brushwood. For 15 years I've made a career out of social manipulation. I've mastered incredible tricks and dangerous stunts as a professional magician and learned how to become a life hacker. I've picked up the tools of scientists and spies, criminals and con artists. These hacks are an encyclopedia of secret data and everyday shortcuts to help make life easier and give you the upper hand. I'll reveal how to avoid people who cheat the system and show you the legal tips and tricks to stay safe and get ahead, one hack at a time. This is Hacking the System we did uh, two specials and it got picked up for a full season we did a full season it was a lot better than that first experience with court tv mm-hmm. but it was still very very limiting because because i wasn't ultimately the person who had the last say so there but but again it, it was a great experience and i'm really proud of those episodes you know the experience is always frustrating cuz you know there's compromises and you try to meet in the middle from what you want versus the needs of television and so on
1: Yeah. And especially in that position, not to speak ill of your former employers or anything, but you're very much beholden to them because, you know, the practicality of television production, they're throwing a lot of money behind you. So ultimately, there comes a point where if they're like, hey, you should do this, even if you're not super comfortable with it. You're probably going to do it just because you know they're the people who hired the helicopter or whatever.
0: Yeah, you know? exactly. And and that's it. They, they have the power of the purse, and and the talent. Meanwhile, only has the power of the pout. Like that's <laughs> the only veto power that talent gets is they can ruin the shoot day, and and that's not something you want to do if you want to keep working in the business. Mm-hmm. So you know you have to be flexible. And and again, I'm just, I'm just so proud of how everything came out. But when it didn't get picked up for another season there was this strange sense of relief because Jason and I had this stack of so many ideas that, that, that couldn't happen on television because of standards and practices. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, they're too dangerous. They're too, you know, gray area. Nobody wants to sell ads on this kind of content.
1: We can't show pornography on the air.
0: (laughs) Yes. And so, there's this moment where I was like, Jason, you just want to, you, you know, you want to do something new that, that, that is, you know, a spiritual successor to this. And so we started doing, you know, the modern rogue Han Solo, MacGyver, Indiana Jones, evil Knievel, James Bond, the A team. All right. Now you just ruined it. Yeah, Dude, when we were kids growing up, we had these paragons of absolute badassness, the ultimate modern rogue. We can be those guys, Brian. I mean, not immediately. I <laughs> want to be one of those guys. Yeah. You're we're coming with time. me. All right. Are, are, are you calling a quest? Yes. One, two, three, four. Welcome to my meth lab. Oh, good. Are you listening to
1: me? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make spears. That's legitimately terrifying. Oh my God! <laughs>
0: That was insane. If we suffer harm, that's our own dumb fault. I didn't expect that. Holy sh! That was unexpected. It's been astonishing, Bill. How much by the numbers we're reaching more people than the TV show ever reached, uh, and, and that's on a per episode basis. I'm pretty sure we're certainly making more money because, uh, of course, we're building everything in house. But mm-hmm. everything has gone into reinvesting. Like that's where the rubber meets the road is if if i'm going to preach that once you've harvested some cash your your job with that cash as as steward of it is to reinvest it in bigger more interesting stories uh we definitely did it because because i I, i've been flushing all the cash we have into building out this this seven acre production facility but i believe it's paying dividends in the excitement that we see from the crowd because we're telling a much much bigger more interesting story as a result of it i
1: have seen so much you know activity on social media concerning you know the new compound you have out there uh which was a major investment from you you know to to where you know i'm thinking about brian brushwood a lot more than i did before which it was a lot but you know even more than i was before just because i'm seeing so many updates from it all the time
0: from, from your fans, too. If, if you do it right, then it's organic because it's genuinely interesting and worth talking and joking and speculating about and hoping to hear more of, you know, like we talked about, the story never ends. From, from the atomic unit of a tweet all the way to the lifetime, you know, I'm continuing to perform the story of you know, Brian Brushwood and all those various <laughs> incarnations
1: and what a wonderfully bizarre, magical, indecent, but yet somehow wholesome story. It is Brian. <laughs> that is very well put. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I stayed up all night working on it.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from now, but, but it's really remarkable for me to think that, that we're only about halfway through this journey, you know, from 20 years ago, performing on a street corner from t- 10 years ago, barely starting a podcast, mm-hmm. uh, a brief sojourn in television. Something tells me that it probably won't be my last. And uh, and and continuing to build out stuff. Uh, the goal is to continue to virtualize all the elements of the story and then eventually <laughs> get to a place where I can back away slowly and just play Hearthstone.
1: <laughs> and they'll just have a 16-foot tall golden statue of you playing Hearthstone, <laughs> you know, right in the center of your compound.
0: Or at the very least, a virtualized... Uh, uh, d- My goal is to get so much of myself out there that some deep fake can just take it from here.
1: Oh, I'm sure we're already there already. What with the... Uh, oh, yeah, the, well, the deep fake stuff. You know, it, pe- there's like... Some bot that's just turning them out on Reddit all the time now. <laughs> that's so amazing. If someone was wanting to do something like you do, you know, start up sort of like a reality education based show today, what, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them?
0: Uh, well, this is the, uh, I'll try to keep this as, as tight as I can. Um, uh, this is the going from nothing to something. A lot of people think like, oh, I have an idea, so that's it, I'm done. Uh, that's, that's only one-third of, of the story. There are three elements that you need if, if you're going to carve out a piece, uh, a starting point, because you, you have to have a starting point in order to start doing this virtuous circle, or as I call it, the independent engine. Uh, and in order to do that, uh, your beginning point has to be something uh, that, that is well-anchored. And the way you get a well-anchored starting point is by uh, identifying a niche, defining your type, and adding a spice. What I mean by that is type is the thing you do. So let's say, in this case, you're saying type equals instructional educational reality videos, right? Mm-hmm. That is that is the structure, that is the well-known thing. In, uh, type might be novels, type might be blog posts, type might be horror fiction, et cetera, et cetera. Spice is the, the thing that makes it a little bit different from everything else in the world. At, at the Wizard Academy, we call it the third gravitational body. The idea being, Newtonian physics, you can you can predict the motion of two gravitational bodies forever and ever and ever. But when you add a third gravitational body, it gets too chaotic too quickly. And as a result, it gets very, very interesting. And so uh, what you want is that third gravitational body. So uh, for scam school, the type was magic tutorials, but the, uh, the spice was, no, 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 we're actually at the bar and we're gonna be crazy enough to take regular people from the bar and teach them magic tricks. Uh, which is something nobody was doing, right? Uh, and then, likewise, you know, for the modern rogue, it's it's you know again the type is instructional videos, but but we're not just going to say oh, here's how to make a sling, we're going to say I mean, we're, we're basically two 40-year-old man children who are playing <laughs> pretend like they're 12-year-olds. We're, we're, we're going to pull out a mannequin and say it's a changeling alien that has to be destroyed, and we're gonna we're going to make a sling and kill it
1: with it and so on. You know what the modern rogue reminds me of a little bit? It reminds me a little bit about being at your family reunion when you're a kid and your two uncles get up to some mischief over by the tree.
0: Yeah! That's exactly what it reminds me of. Uh, also, we'll never admit to that. There, there, there's always, there's there's what a thing claims to be, and then there's what it really is. Uh, <laughs> what we claim to be is badasses on a quest to become more badass. Mm-hmm. What well, we really are are two dumb uncles.
1: Well, those dumb uncle characters would totally say that they were badasses. So you're, you're cool. You're cool.
0: It's internally consistent. Exactly, right? Well, and so that brings us to the part that everybody ignores, which is the most important part if you want to go from nothing to something, uh, and that's niche. Uh, the most important book I read in my entire career was, I read it shortly before Scam School, and it was by Alan Laura Reese, and it's called The Origin of Brands. Uh, uh, Al Reese has done advertising stuff and brand stuff for years and years and years. But he wrote this book in the context of what if brands were like Darwin's origin of the species? In other words, imagine instead of a tree of life where you have an insect branch and a fungus branch and a, and a, a mammal branch or whatever, uh, what if instead you had a tree of brands where there's a restaurant branch and a, um, a, a an automobile branch and, a, and a, a, a technical learning branch or whatever? And then much like evolution, Things don't morph over time, but instead there's constant divergence. Some, you start with a, an initial idea that keeps on splitting off, and some branches live, thrive, and survive; others totally die. For example, in the beginning, there was only one car, the Ford Model T, and it didn't it didn't morph over time into the Ford Taurus, but instead it branched off constantly and some of them lived and thrived like a Jeep, let's say, or, or a work truck and others of them, uh, like an El Camino, died and, and went away.
1: And sometimes they'll like, they'll intertwine with the other branches, right? You know, like uh, where a Tesla is also kind of a personal computer.
0: Uh, well, yeah, cor- yeah, correct. Uh, much like actual branches, they get entangled with each other and they start mm-hmm. to, uh, to suck sunlight from the same area. So the idea is, Um, you know, you found your niche when you have no competition. So think about this, the same things that, that apply to trees or, or animals in a crowded environment apply to brands and ideas to get started. The example that he gives is everybody knows who the first person to fly across the Atlantic solo is. Nobody knows who the second one is. (laughs) So, so that's the rule is, is be first, right? If you want all the sunlight, be the first seed planted in this, in, in that area. But the, ironically, we do know who the third person to fly across the Atlantic solo is because she was first in a category.
1: I didn't know, but then you said she and
0: I got it. That's right. So if you can't be first, be first in a category, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then likewise, there's other rules. Like uh, if, 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 if you can't be first and you can't be first in a category, figure out how to be second. Uh, the example being uh, Coke, was first in the mind of people. So Pepsi can't compete with Coke head-to-head, but because Coke means sitting on the porch with your grandfather, Americana, mm-hmm. Pepsi does the opposite and says, up yours, dad, we're the choice of the new generation, <laughs> right? So you you beat, you beat win by being second, by being opposite of being the first. And there are I- increasingly small niches that you can identify. Uh, for example, I do a podcast called Cord Killers that is the type is... News and reviews of movies and music, or sorry, of movies and TV.
1: And you're the only podcast out there like that, right?
0: Right, right. But that's just it, right? Eh, the spice is it's it's Brian and Tom, whatever. But the the problem is that's eh, a very full niche. There's no way we're going we're going to to make it work in there. However, we did recognize that okay, who out there is doing this specifically? through the lens of people who want to cut the cable cord and watch all of their content through Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Who is our competition? We said, well, well, there is cordcutternews.com, but they don't have a podcast. So who's our competition in the podcast space? Nobody. And then that's when we knew we had a niche. Yeah, and,
1: and to to clear it up for our, our listeners, this is, Cord Killer started as a show called Frame Rate, which was started, what, like seven, eight years ago, something like that?
0: So yeah, this was- Yeah, no, it's
1: gone- this was a, a very empty playing field back when Brian sh- started the show.
0: Yeah, nowadays it is getting a little bit busier. That's that's for sure. As as but think about it. Like I think that's part of the success you enjoyed, Bill, with your with your fan cast. Mm. Is anybody can start a fan cast simply by figuring out what fan casts are underserved. Like what 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 properties exist that you're pretty sure somebody would like to listen to a fan cast, but there is none out there. Mm. And so uh, once you identify that, it's easy to get a foothold. You don't have to be, uh, this is going to come out sounding bad. You don't have to be terribly talented. You just have to show up. Niche is that unmet need in the universe. Now, here's the thing. Your opinion does not matter to niche. You need to listen to what the universe wants that it does not yet have. And just by virtue of showing up, some people are going to give you their full attention. And that gives you, that is that nothing to something moment that gives you the foothold to start that independent engine to grow and diversify until you become that supernova. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, look, I'm just crushing it. This is great.
1: You are, you are. I, I'm ready to buy your book and your self-help course and uh, <laughs> your, your pop socket for my phone. <laughs>
0: The pop socket that's got the 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 stories uh attention sales circle on it.
1: I, I definitely agree with everything you said, Brian. I do want to point out you were talking about the fan casting stuff. I just want to point out that you can be a good fan caster if you pick up my upcoming book, Fan Podcasting, the Complete Guide, uh soon to be released from Do Anything Media. Just a little yeah. plug there. I j- just yeah. there.
0: see, see, this is this is how it works, people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, Brian. Well, I, I, think, I think I'll go ahead and let you go. I, you have been immensely uh, wise and friendly and not weird at all, like everyone says you are. <laughs> and, and you make so much stuff that I'm sure we're going to have to find a good excuse to get you back on here soon. Oh, hells yeah, man. Thank you so much. No problem. I tell Texas I said I miss her. <laughs> you got it. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have your own big idea you've made a reality, we want to hear about it. Let us know by emailing this at doanything.media. We'd love to share your project or maybe even talk to you about it. You can follow the show at I made this show, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, that's at imadethisshow. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or on our website, imadethis.doanything.media. Again, that's imadethis.doanything.media. And if you do subscribe, make sure you leave a review so we can shout you out on the show. I'm Bill Meeks. Thanks for listening.